Throughout the Bible, you'll find a consistent pattern that people followed as they started out and continued on with God. It's the pattern found in Proverbs 18.1. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. It's the same pattern that's described in Matthew 16.24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The pattern can be summarized in three words. Hungry, humble, holy. Proverbs 18.1, it says, through desire a man. Okay, that man is hungry. The target of his hunger is wisdom. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs is synonymous with God, the ways of God, the will of God. Compare Proverbs chapter 8 with John chapter 1, and you'll find out that wisdom is Jesus, and Jesus is wisdom. And so the hunger that the man has in Proverbs 18.1 is ultimately the hunger for God. This man is hungry. He's going after God. So the pattern, hungry, humble, holy. Through desire, amen. And then it says, having separated himself, the man who was first hungry for God, then goes through the process of dying to self, being separated from everything that keeps him from pursuing God, being humbled. And then it goes on to say, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. After he lets God humble him, he's then ready to be holy, hungry, humble, Holy, if you're going to write anything down at all from this message, it might be a good idea to write down those three words. Hungry, humble, holy. You're not going to get close to God. You're not going to go anywhere with God. You're not going to go anywhere for God unless you let him take you through the process. Hungry, humble, holy. And by the way, it's a good thing to know the process so that you recognize it when you get there. Hungry, humble. Holy, Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said, if any man will, okay, the word will is desire. The man who will is hungry to go with Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, okay? He desires to go with Jesus and he quickly faces the process of self-denial. Having those things removed that run contrary to following Jesus, being humbled. And then he's ready to be set apart to his God-given task, which is holiness. We need a revival of understanding what holiness is. We have let Satan and the world and even Christianity twist that word into a negative. I can't do that because I, you know, I'm I'm trying to be holy. I can't go there because I'm trying to be holy. Or we say, oh, well, I'm not trying to be all holy or anything. We have twisted that word. We have given it a negative connotation. Holiness is a positive thing, and at bottom line, it means going with God. It means being set apart to going with God. Hungry, humble, holy. So he, denies, he any man will come after me. He denies himself. He's humbled. And then he's ready to be set apart to his God-given task. And that's holiness. 
Being holy is not passive. It is not defensive. Being holy is action. It's going on offense with God. It's service. It's influence. It's taking up your cross. Hungry, humble, holy. You see that pattern in the life of Jacob. Jacob's hunger for God began with a hunger for what God could do for him. But that hunger led him to be humble. He was humbled by his father-in-law. He was humble enough to bow before his estranged brother Esau and say, I'm sorry for being such a punk. And then he was humbled by a crippled leg, a broken heart, and a famine that caused him to leave his home for good. But his hunger and his humbling made him holy. So that God would say, I'm going to give you a new name. You were hungry. You've been humbled. Now I'm going to give you a new name. Israel. It means prince with God. And I'm going to use your sons to change the history of the world. Hungry. Humble. Holy. You see this pattern with the prophet Isaiah, who started out as a young preacher, hungry for God. And then upon the death of a man that he greatly admired and respected, King Uzziah, Isaiah saw a vision of God in all of his glory. He was humbled. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He was humbled. Matthew was humbled. He heard the voice of the Lord ask, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he, Isaiah, answered, Here am I. Send me. That's holiness. He was set apart to the work that God had for him to do. Hungry, humble, holy. You see the same pattern with Peter, who was so hungry for God that when he heard Jesus say, follow me, he walked away from his skill, from his trade, and he said, I'll go wherever you lead me. But over the next three years, Jesus led Peter through an intense humbling process. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, Peter, we've got to get rid of that pride. We've got to fix that ego. We gotta get rid of all that macho and bravado. We have to cure that desire to be the loudest mouth in the room. We have to help you lose that know-it-all opinion, the hero syndrome, the foul mouth, and the cowardice that causes you to deny me under pressure. Peter let Jesus humble him. Many other disciples never would let Jesus humble him. We find that in John chapter six. They were hungry for God, but when it came to humbling time, they walked away. But Peter stayed and let Jesus humble him. So Jesus took Peter to holy, where he was ready to lead all of the other disciples in Jesus' absence, and he impacted the world for Christ. Hungry, humble, holy. Now listen carefully. Every human being, every human being, at some point in his life or her life, gets intrigued by God. So uh, what about the atheist? Oh, especially the atheist. Because you don't get to the place where you're that angry. It's just funny. I've talked to tons of atheists. You know what they always want to talk about? God. 
You don't get to that place where you're so angry at God and reject. And by the way, talk to them, you'll find out. It's not that they've come to the conclusion there is God, there is no God. It's that they don't want there to be a God. They're angry at him. You'll find that in every conversation with an atheist. So especially the atheist, but every human being comes to the place where they are at least a little bit intrigued by God. Some people pursue that hunger. As you pursue that hunger, you come to a place when you get serious about, man, I want to go with God. You come to the place where God says now, I love having you with me. But if we're going to go any further together, I need to start reducing your pride. You're going to have to let me humble you. It's at that point that you decide whether you're hungry enough to go any further with God. God says, I want you to continue with me, but your pride can't come. He says, I want you to continue with me, but your temper can't come. Because your temper is product of your pride. I want you to come with me, but your negative attitude can't come. Your negative attitude is product of your pride. I want you to come with me, but your critical spirit can't come. Your gossiping tongue can't come. Your strife and discord can't come. Your instability can't come. Your fear can't come. All those things are products of pride. By the way, even the inferiority complex. Which, oh, no, that's not pride. Oh, yeah. You know what pride is? Pride is when it's all about you. And the only reason you get to thinking about, well, I don't, I'm not really good enough. I'm, I'm not really that important. I really don't matter. Who, who are you talking about there? You're talking about you. You're thinking about you too much, and that's pride. And if you're going to go with God, you have to let him crush it. You have to let him remove it. I can remember, I started really getting hungry for God when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I can remember I was about 14 when, when God started the process of, man, where I was conscious of it. I'm going to have to sift you as wheat. I'm going I'm to have to crush you a little bit. I'm going to have to break you down. That was 36 years ago, and God still breaks me down. It never ends. The reason it never ends is because pride keeps cropping up. It's like a weed. You pull one, two more pop up. And God says, uh, that reputation, that name, that can't go where we're going. That ambition, that personal ambition, that can't go where we're going. James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud, he giveth grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he shall lift you up. If you're holding on to your ego, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. If you're always, and by the way, assess your own heart right now. i got a list ahead of us here. Assess your own heart. In case you hear something, oh, pastor's talking about me. No, no, I'm not. It's called conviction, all right? And let me say, I've been in church my whole life, 
And just as following the Lord has patterns, pride has patterns too. And so you see it again and again and again and again. So just because you're guilty of it doesn't mean I'm talking about you. These are things I've seen a hundred times over, each one of them. If you're holding on to your ego, if you're, if you're always trying to outdo other people, you haven't humbled yourself inside the Lord. If you always think you know better. By the way, those were the people we studied uh, 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 Joshua taking over, taking the children of Israel into the promised land this morning in, in, in our adult Bible class. Those were the people who died in the wilderness. They always thought they knew better than Moses. And notice when it was their children's turn to go in, the first thing they said when God said, all right, Joshua, you're stepping in, you're taking the place of Moses. Joshua turned to the people and said, God put me in the place of Moses. Here, Three days, we're crossing that river. Let's go, let's do it. And the children had a different tone than their parents had. Their parents, who they watched die in the wilderness, said, Moses, I think we should do it this way. And you don't know what you're doing. You, we're doing it this way. And God got sick of it. God got sick of it. They cried out against Moses, and Moses would have to go to God and say, God, they don't, they don't, they don't mean it. Have mercy. God got sick of them murmuring against Moses. Why? Because God appointed Moses. And finally he said, you all people, your whole generation, everybody but Joshua and Caleb is dying in this wilderness. And 38 and a half years from now, we're starting over with a new generation. So now it's that new generation. Their parents have died in the wilderness. Joshua's leading them. And Joshua says to them, okay, you know, I'm what you got, so let's go. And what do the people say? Read the end of Joshua 1. Everything you said, we'll do it. Whatever you, you lead us, we'll follow. And by the way, they said to each other, anybody who doesn't follow him is dead. We'll kill you. They learn by watching their parents that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We're going to follow what God says. We're going to follow what he leads his man to, to, to do. If you always think you know better. You haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. How's your heart doing? How's your heart doing? If you can't submit to the authorities that God has placed in your life, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. You're not going any further with God. If you're always right and everybody else is always wrong, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. You're not going any farther with God. If you make everything about you, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. If you think you're so strong that you don't need to assemble with God's people, well, that's for everybody else. I don't need that stuff. You haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. If you're always in conflict with somebody, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. If you did, by the way, I learned this one from a lady about 10 years ago. How can I help your husband? And she gave me this phrase right here. If you always distance yourself from everybody and then you blame them for the distance. I was like, wow, that's profound. And once, once she pointed that out to me, I've seen that in so many other people. You create a distance and then you blame other people for the distance. That is satanic. It is pride. And if that's how you roll, you haven't humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord. Now, look, hey, you can have these flaws and God can help you get rid of them. It's if you're content to keep them. If you defend them, yeah, I do that, but 
That's just who I am. If you defend them, you haven't humbled yourself on the side of the Lord. If you constantly create strife and discord, you haven't humbled yourself on the side of the Lord. If you're too big to apologize to people for your failures, you haven't humbled yourself on the side of the Lord. If you harbor, you make a a safe place for your blame and your bitterness, you haven't humbled yourself on the side of the Lord. If you can't say thank you, I love you, or I'm sorry, you haven't humbled yourself on the side of the Lord. If you stay on the outside of everything, while you criticize the people who contribute and participate. Say, Pastor, how can we do those things that you were talking about at the beginning of the service? you got to jump in. You're not going to do it from the perimeter. Jump in. Jump in. You say, you know what? I think there's an inner circle here at our church. There is. It's the people who jump in. Anybody can be in it who wants to. But to stand on the edges and say, you know, those, those people, they, they don't know what they're doing. If you don't help because you think you're not good enough. You say, come on, that's not pride. Oh, yes, it is. Somebody needs help and you won't give it to them because you think you're not good enough. You're thinking about you. You're not thinking about the person who needs help. That's pride. If you're getting angry at this list, (laughs) you haven't humbled yourself. If you get your feelings hurt, do I ever get my feelings hurt? Sure I do. Because I got pride. I got pride problems. We all do. But do you humble yourself? Do, do you find yourself? Do, hey, can you acknowledge when you get your feelings hurt and take it as soon as you can get there, take it to God? Say, God, that's wrong. I'm sorry. Break that down. Many good people have hungered for God. And then stopped when the humbling process began. Hey, we're real close to the end of the message. Good news right there. And remember, pride keeps cropping up, so the humbling process never ends. Listen, the more you let God make you nothing, a nobody, the further you go with God. Let me just throw in this little commercial. You get a chance to listen to, do you remember, was it Brother Fisher's evening service where he told the story of how he became the pastor, where he brought Mrs. Fisher up there? Daytime? All right, it's either, it's either Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Go hear the story of how Doug Fisher became the pastor. In Sandy, Doug Fisher, one of the most spirit-filled, spirit-led, powerful pastors in America. Unbelievable how God uses him. He's one of the simplest, humblest men you'll ever meet. I mean, simple in a good way. But he tells a story there. But he said, very early in his, in his ministry, somebody told him, when he, he was thrown into the pastorate, never went to Bible college, didn't want any part of being pastor, and he and his wife agreed. I'm just doing this until somebody good comes along. And that was, you know, 30-something years ago. He's still doing it until somebody good comes along. 
So he was getting advice everywhere he could, and he said one of the best pieces of advice he got was a preacher told him, stay a nobody, and God will always use you. The more you let God make you nothing, a nobody, the further you go with God. He sets you apart for his service. He makes you holy. Hungry, humble, holy. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All right, that's the end of the outline. This clock says 1214. I'm going to get this story in in about five minutes. If you'll listen, this will grip your heart. This will give you hope. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many people here think, you know what, all that God stuff is good for you, Pastor. You started out early. You've had it easy. Good for you. But it's too late for me. I've had too many, I've made too many mistakes, I've had too many failures, or I've had too many other people do bad things to me. I'm in too deep a hole. It won't work for me. Then this story's for you. A lady in her 40s stood the other day, and with her family around her, gave this testimony to a crowd of, I don't know, eight or nine hundred, maybe a thousand people. When she was a girl, her parents divorced, and her mother moved her and her brother to South Jersey. They were not saved. They were not church-going people. Her mom was an addict. All she'd known was tension at home, strife, pain, heartache, yelling, screaming, all that, all that stuff that goes with the life of an addict. She was basically living a difficult, miserable life. Not a lot of laughter, not a lot of anything good. One day, two men knocked at her door and said, like our workers do, hey, you want to come to church tomorrow? We have a bus that comes by and we'll pick you up for church tomorrow. And she said, yeah, I want to do that. So the next day, the bus came, she got on the bus, and she rode to church, and for the first time in her church, the first time in her life, she heard songs about God. And she soaked it in. She loved it. She went to church, and for the first time, she was surrounded by Christian people, and she said, I never experienced this in my life. I loved it. I fell in love with it immediately. For the first time in her life, she's hearing stories from the Bible about the people who, who lived, people of faith in the Bible. She said, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of God. And so she went back and she went every week. I believe eventually her mom came and her mom got saved, but her mom never overcame her addictions. And so she's continued to live her life. She, a lot of times she took care of her, her little brother because her mom just couldn't. She continued to live her life in the home of an addict. But her one oasis was church. One day somebody that her mom knew, it was not Solid Rock Baptist Church she went to, her mom, the, 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 
uh, friend, of, friend of her mom said, hey, there's a church over here, Solid Rock Baptist Church, and they have a Christian school. And they will let your daughter go to their Christian school tuition free. And so her mom switched churches just so she could get her daughter into the Christians because she, her, her, she knew her daughter just loved God and wanted all the God she could get. And even though she herself was, was bound in addiction, she, she wanted the best for her kids. And so they started going to Solid Rock. And, but even there, she, they had no car. And she couldn't get her daughter to school every day. So she had a patchwork. And finally, the Clarks realized, hey, this girl lives right on our way to school. So the pastor's family on their way to school every single day would stop and pick her up. She'd come out of her house and go to the end of the block and wait in the corner. And they'd zoom in. She'd hop in the car and she would ride. And don't miss this. This is the key to the whole story. She said, I'd ride to school as a young teenage girl. And I'd say, God, this is all I want out of life as a Christian family. It's all I want. I will do whatever you want me to do if you'll just give me this. By the way, don't ever miss what you have that other people would die to have. She God, this is, this, is, this is all I want out of life as a Christian family and the joy and the peace and the love that they have. And I'll do whatever you want. That's tied to that. Well, her mom wound up moving to Florida. And look, it, you know, you know how it is. It doesn't matter how good a church there is somewhere else. When you're ripped out of your church, it's like, oh, oh, oh. she was going to be ripped out of her church. She was going to be ripped out of all that meant anything to her. And a family in the church that had four kids already of their own. God moved them to go to this teenage girl and say, you want to come live with us? By the way, the lady's husband was on the platform, and when she said that, he just broke down sobbing. The people, the couple was in the room. She asked him to stand up. You want to come live with us? You can stay here when your mom goes to Florida. And so she went and lived with them. She kept, she graduated from Christian school there. And she started dating. You ready for this? Started dating Mike Clark. And that little girl who said, God... I'll do anything to have this. It's Pastor Clark's daughter-in-law. If you're hungry enough for God to let him humble you, he's got something for you. Bigger than you can create for yourself. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning.